Hi, it's Brian Murphy, not of Cambiar, but of McCovey Chronicles. If you read the site, then you know that the McCovey Croncast has been on indefinite hiatus for some retooling. Did I say indefinite? Indefinite hiatus for some retooling. Uh, I just want you to know that we've read the comments uh, on the post I put up about how we're looking to improve it and what you what you had in mind for feedback. And we're looking to revamp the show in the off-season, maybe making it more interview-based, figuring out a way to make sure that we get an ISD line so, ISDM line so that everyone sounds crystal clear um, at all times and it sounds engaging to the listener, to you, the listener. Um, in the meantime, though, this is going to be in our standard format and it's going to be a season wrap-up, uh, an interview I did yesterday with Roger Munter, our minor league guru, the, the guy who writes minor lines every day on the site. If you don't know who that is for some reason, but you're still listening to this Croncast. Um, and he talked about the big news for the Giants farm system in 2018. Yes, that means a lot of talk about Joey Bart and uh, about Elliot Ramos uh, and the Giants overall philosophy when it comes to prospects and prospect development. But Roger also does stress that the Giants have made some big moves on the international stage. And, uh, and so that's exciting because I, I definitely learned something new there. So there's definitely some talk about the Giants international players and what they're doing to change things up there. It's a positive podcast, I promise. Uh, we also answered a couple of your Twitter questions. And just uh, to give you a heads up, the conversation lasts about an hour. Sit back and enjoy a thorough discussion of what has always in what has always been the most popular topic of conversation related to Giants baseball, the Giants Vaunted Farm System. It's time to check in on the Giants minor league system and joining me is Roger Munter, our minor league guru. He writes minor lines on the site. It's uh, it's on the off-season hiatus and we're going to miss it, but we have Roger here right now. Roger, how's it going? Things are going well, Brian. How's it with you? Well, you know, it's uh, the, the season ends next Sunday and I've been telling myself that seven said that to myself seven times a day every morning for the past <laughs> five days. Uh, I know, I know how you feel. I felt that way at the end of the minor league season. It's like, oh boy, we're almost there. Yeah, uh, the you know, it's been pretty rough for the Giants uh, at the major league level. But if you look at the records of the minor league teams, it feels very much uh, of a kind. <laughs> Indeed, yes, <laughs> they have. Uh, I, that's been two years now that they have put a lot of last place teams out there, which is a little concerning. But uh, is it? it it can't be anything as cynical as a cost-cutting move, right? It's just that's the way it shook out? I think it's just the way it shook out. And, you know, you can't make any kind of one-to-one comparison necessarily because the the Padres, who a lot of people think have the most talented organization in baseball, they didn't really have a lot of winning teams in their system either. Uh, the Rays, who are up there too, did. They had, All their teams were in first place. So there's not like a one-to-one comparison. But I think having like every league you're in, you're at the bottom is suggestive of a lack of talent kind of overall. Well, that's just great. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So but let's we don't want go this to through. be yeah, but we no, don't want this to be a something happy. Yeah. We don't want this to be a downbeat. Uh, there there are things worth talking about, uh, po- positive things about the Giants. Absolutely. I feel like the the number one uh, gem, the gem the, of the system is uh, is Joey Bart, and and I'm fine with talking about him. And it was always a pleasure after he was called up to see the tweets about 
another home run he's hit. <laughs> but in reading the, the, the various reports, if you don't go on the site regularly because Grant doesn't write there anymore, Roger has in the last, uh, and I don't blame you, uh, Roger has in the last uh, few days, he's published two interviews with uh, sort of major league scouts or, or minor league gurus uh, who handle minor league baseball generally. Uh, and you'll want to check those out. And I'm blanking on their names for the moment, but I'll pull it up in a minute. Uh, you got Adam McInturf from 2080 Baseball. And, right, Adam uh, McInturf, yeah. yeah there and, McInturf. and David Lee, who's yes. down in Augusta, who writes for uh, Baseball Perspectives. And uh, he has a fairly long history with Joey Bart because he was right there in the area covering him. He, and, and, yeah, David loves – Joey Bart. So that is a pretty big story. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, the question I wanted to, there was kind of a split between the two. The one who followed Joey Bart was very high. David Lee was very high on the idea that, you know, grizzled veteran catcher in, in mentality, mindset, and approach. Um, and, and, and Adam was a little bit more like, uh, it'll, he'll play. And, and, and I thought that was an interesting thing, but I really would, for the, to stay positive, that, that is sort of a thing we do forget. Like Buster Posey became a catcher sort of late in his baseball career. And, uh, and Joey Bart's always been a catcher. And that seems like a, a big difference as a starting point. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. Although, so Joey Bart's always been a catcher, but he's also a person who's been making great progression in his ability to catch kind of at the same time Posey was if that makes sense so he became a catcher earlier but you know the history of high school catchers is is really really terrible but college is where catchers become catchers and so bart's defensive progression i think a lot of people commented on over his his career at georgia tech how far he progressed and and that's really a time that catchers are making kind of big leaps um i you know bart I don't know that this last draft was one that had a huge kind of consensus around who the top guys were going to be. It was, you know, Nick Madrigal was up there at one point, and Alex Baum was up. There were a lot of moving parts. Um, but Barr was the guy who moved, who really moved the needle with his last season and, and was certainly in that elite group um, for everybody, I think, whether people were really super high on him or super, you know, who's, there are people who see him as, yeah, he's going to have the defense, and he's going to have huge power. The bat may be low, and there are other people who are higher on him and say, no, no, it's a bat that's probably going to be a little – it's going to play up because he's so smart and he's got intangibles and is probably like a, a multi-year all-star. One thing Adam said that I think I maybe I just described in, in too long a rambling a form is that he's a combination of a, a high floor with a high ceiling, which is really where you're kind of – <laughs> the guys you want to get ultimately. I mean, that's basically, yeah, you're basically talking about a, a top of the league prospect or yeah, top of the league prospect uh, and player. Right. Somebody who's both safe and has a high end. Um, I think one thing giants have been criticized for in their drafting, you know, somewhat over the last decade is they, they go for safe a lot, but when you can get safe with a huge ceiling, that's, that's always a pretty exciting player. And, and that seems to be where, where people really are around, around Bart. I, I agree what you said about there didn't seem to be a consensus. At the same time, there definitely seemed, out of all the names you mentioned, there were three or four who were very commonly the cluster of the top. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Bart was not, at least from my 
coverage or, or review. Bart was not in that group, but in since the Giants drafted him, like as soon as they drafted him, people were like, "Oh yeah, and Joey Bart, like he's really good too." And that was that's that's a. Am I wrong about that? Like he's considered in that group, but not was not actively considered in that group. So, um, I, I think there are things that happen almost every year in the draft, and one is that high school guys will slide down and college guys will move up right at the end, which is has to do with risk tolerance of teams. They start getting a little wary of the younger players who have, you know, more deviation that their pass can go, and they like the certainty and the track record that college players bring. And so college record players will always, particularly college bats, will always start moving up as the spring concludes. And that happened, I think, without a doubt. That happened with Bart, and it happened with Alex Baum. Both of those guys really moved up. And Jonathan Indy was another one of those guys. Um, so, I mean, he was there, but the, the way drafts worked, it worked, and he started moving up with his uh, extremely elite level of play in his junior year because college players from major conferences who perform at a high level in their junior year tend to do well in the pros. So, uh, did you happen uh, to did you get a chance to see uh, Bart play at all, or when he came up, or even in college? Uh, no, I have never seen him live. I've only ever seen him on on TV or video. He he has not been too close to me as of yet. Have but I, I am looking watched, forward to that. I think we all are. Have you ever watched Alec Baum or seen uh, him live? Or no, uh, most of the most of the college players. I have only seen on TV. Th- that's fine. So. I, it's, it's not. I'm trying to catch you off guard here. I just <laughs> want to bring up when I, I, I'm not a expert by any means. When I watch Alec Baum on uh, TV on the video, uh, and I am told he's a fantastic hitter, and I watch him swing from the side in the videos, I'm like, okay, I can see that. What I cannot imagine with a player like him is like, I don't know what position he plays. Yeah, yeah. he stood out to me as being like one of the strangest. Um, just w- where the hell do you put him, guys? Uh, because he seems like he should be at first base, but then you watch him move, and it's like, well, that seems like a waste. But if you stick him in left field, there's not going to be coverage there. And third base seemed like, well, maybe, because if he just lays out for a ball, he's probably going to knock it down. He's just a very tall, weird-looking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And he, Yeah, he also came from one of the smaller – conferences which is always a slightly different thing than the power conferences and the majors in terms of what happens when they go pro so it'll be interesting to see where he goes yeah i I think i was just high on him on the idea of like oh someone who can hit and just get someone who can hit who knows how to make contact but you know one thing the giants we're bringing it back to bart folks don't worry one of the things about the giant system is it's just it's it has no power and it's it's like a it's like a team powered by solar panels on Antarctica. It's like it doesn't happen. There's just no one. Chris Shaw is it right now as yeah. the power guy in the system. And then there's Joey Bart. Um, and and there's not a person. There's not a scout. There's not a, a critic. There's not anyone who denies that Joey Bart has at least one of the at least has that. Yeah, absolutely. And all fields power too. So it's pretty big, big power. Uh, that's um, that's the other thing. The all fields power is is huge because that's just not a common trait for most prospects. No, and it's something that scouts really like to see out of hitter swings because it tends to mean you're not selling out, you know, for pull side power. If if you've got power the opposite way, you can kind of wait on balls and 
yeah, it, it is a big indication for scouts, for sure. So we, we have every reason to go to bed every night, at least for now, being extraordinarily hyped for Joey Bart. I, you know, I think he's probably one of the major storylines of the Giants' year this year is, is the addition of, of that player. So, and, and there's another, I think, so everyone, we all want to talk about Bart, and we should, uh, because he is the number two player in the draft, and he's, you know, 21, so he should, if things go well, move quickly. Uh, but I don't want to move too fast past, really, the other major acquisition of the year, which was uh, Marco Luciano. Um, I, I want to get into all of that, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so Bart was the number two pick in the draft. Luciano was the number two guy on Baseball America's international free agent list this year. And and Baseball America's international rankings have been pretty accurate over the last decade. When you get someone in their top three or five, that tends to be somebody who's going to be an impact player. And he is another kid with huge, huge power who kind of plays up the middle, although where he's going to be defensively uh, is to be known. So I, I think they acquired two big power bats. They're not two big power bats on the same kind of development time frame because Luciano's 16, 16 years old. Yeah. But they are two big additions of power talent to the system. So I, in my mind, I kind of clumped those two together, even though Fair enough. You know, the development arc, they're very different. And when they're going to arrive, who knows? But they were two big additions to the organization trying to address what you're talking about. So, but I, I want to throw, I want to ask about Luciano in this sense. If I'm a casual prospect person for the Giants and listening to this, how is he different from Lucius Fox, whom you could argue the Giants viewed as not great for them and expendable by virtue of the fact that they made him expendable for uh, nothing? They got nothing in return for Lucius Fox, and he was their big last big international move until Luciano. Yeah, and Lucius Fox, uh, you know, we could. This is a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. But what was really questionable about the Lucius Fox acquisition was that they went into the bonus penalty to sign him, but then didn't go further in it for any other big signings, which was what a lot of teams were doing back then is not just going a little into the bonus or a little into the penalty, but way, way, way into the penalty. So the Yankees, for instance, just like chopped the entire top off of the market one year and took like 20 players who were, you know, in the top 50 and their system has really benefited from that approach. So the Giants did this one big signing that put them in the bonus for in the penalty for two years where they couldn't, sign anybody for more than 300,000, but then they didn't, they just got that one player. And then as you say, they traded him away. So that was some a pretty questionable philosophy that year to my, to my knowledge. Or well, to if, my, they, uh, if, if they had gone deeper into the penalty, they wouldn't have been able to sign Jeffrey Hammonds. They wouldn't have been able to, sign, <laughs> they, they wouldn't have been able to make moves to stay competitive in the division based on the level of payroll. That's right. Uh, so is Luciano different from him? Well, as a player, he certainly is because Luciano was, or Fox was and is a speed guy, and Luciano is really a power guy. Um, so you, you mentioned that I've been publishing interviews, and there's another one that will probably be up by the time this interview is there with Ben Badler of Baseball America, where he talks uh, at length about his uh, history of watching Luciano play. Um, and he's very high on him as a, as a, a big power 
plus hitting kind of athlete. Uh, so he's a, he's a kid I think we should be pretty excited about. Uh, I so this you I didn't even think about this question until just right now because listen I think a lot of people take your word and take you know they read stuff and they I think we all want to assume that the people with authority are making the decisions uh, are well suited to the task and are responsible and intelligent thoughtful and like you know very highly capable otherwise they wouldn't have the position I think we know from being alive and gaining life experience that's not always the case is there a way to sit back and say wow the Giants have two tremendously talented players enter their system at the same time this season in addition to a confluence of events that led to them overhauling their system is there still an argument to be made that well they just got lucky because they finally had the ability because they were out from under the penalties to get a Luciano and they were bad enough last year that they were high enough in the draft to get someone like a Joey Bart and there was very little thinking scouting forethought that really had to go into either of these moves um is there a convincing argument to be made? Certainly there's a disingenuous trolling argument to be made because I kind of just made one. But is there, <laughs> is there a, a genuine one based on what you know and, and your experience? I, I would not make that argument personally. I think uh, um, every every opportunity is an opportunity to be successful or not successful, and that's based on the work you put into it, and it's also based on a massive amount of other kind of factors beyond your control. Um, that several years ago, they they signed uh, uh, one of their last big dollar signings in the international market, fell through a glass table and cut his wrist all up, and was basically never able to play after that. So there's a lot of things that can go into all decisions, but I would say that. Being in the position to take number two is, yes, that's a bit of you know, luck or fortune, whether it's bad or good. I would say it's bad fortune that you're in a position to take the number two pick. Certainly allows you to get talent that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. But you still got to put in the work to make that decision you know, bear fruit for you. So I would not make that trolling argument, Ryan. Okay. Well, I'm just, you know, especially with Luciano, it seems like, when it comes to 16-year-olds and you're an organization that has a, a famously bad track record in, yeah. in this particular market, that it just seems like there is an element of throwing a dart at the board. I do think on my limited – you know, you just read what the people say and get a sense of who they are, that the Giants do at least seem to give some weight to the character of the people. And I know people are going to immediately throw out – uh, Angel Villalona as like sort of the counter to that. But I would say that there seems like if the Giants, when they're throwing a lot, like record number of millions of dollars for these signing bonuses around, that they seem more willing to put some thought into it uh, in terms of getting a sense of who the person is. And so just on virtue of that. I, I, I think that's true. Agree. Yeah, but I think that's so, yeah. And so just on the virtue of that, I would say, yeah, they, they try. They, they uh, do their I, homework. They try I, their best. I also think that they have, you know, they obviously have been doing a lot of uh, self-examination in the last couple of years. I think they understand that one of the things that has hurt them in the last decade in terms of their development is that they haven't produced enough talent from that market. Um, 
for for whatever reasons. And I think they have done some overhauling of their scouting organization down there. I know they've opened this new facility. Maybe they're going to start having some new philosophy. But I think they recognize that that's been a lost op- a missed opportunity for them because one of the ways that teams that have winning records and draft later in the draft make up for that is by producing talent from the international market. And they really haven't done a great job of doing that. I don't want to get, again, this is, this is mostly positive. We want to stay positive here, but I do, you know, I think it was the Matt Duffy trade or maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, maybe I think it might've been the Hunter Pence trade. Cause people were so like, well, you gave up a lot to get Hunter Pence, which I thought was a good move. But it was something along the lines of either Sabian or Bobby Evans. It was for one of those moves now. It's all a blur. They were basically like, you know, it, you know, yes, we're giving up a lot, but we're getting something we really need in return. And it's on us then to find the next Matt Duffy or find Tommy Joseph. I legitimately can't remember when they said this, but I know it was said because I remember very strongly agreeing like, yeah, that that is exactly what you're supposed to do as a major league right. baseball team. Like, I, I actually it, think it was the Zach Wheeler trade. I, oh, I maybe it was the Zach. We're, we're supposed to go find the, new, the next Zach Wheeler. That but was I, a little too long ago, but I might agree with you. But <laughs> that That is the job of, of, of the development team, to create a pipeline there. And I'm a person, you know, I, I spend a lot of time watching prospects, but I part of my, my love of prospects is I realized that it's what they're trying to do is next to impossible. And I'm also kind of a prospect skeptic. I know that most of them are going to fail to become major league starters or stars or whatever. And so I always think that trading prospects is a pretty smart thing for teams in general, because a lot of those guys are their best value is as trade chips. Not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them are. So I'm, I'm not really one of these people who's always like, don't trade the future. I think that's one of the values of a system, one of the main values. And yeah, the job is you're supposed to replace those guys with the next guys. Right. And, and I, I think at least in my, my mindset is when you can start to see things tighten up or more importantly, when you know you're going to start becoming very top heavy financially, to me, it makes, it seems like it makes more sense to then take a step back and go, and then start to consider prospects of, we're trading two to get this one that we need right now, but are we going to need either of these two the year after that? And mm-hmm. it seems like the Giants have been in that cycle of like, we need this guy now, but then right. the year after that, they needed both of those guys. And so yeah. that is a tricky part to be in. It's a really tough spot for them to be in. And, yeah. uh, and we're yeah. seeing the results of that. So who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and they should be thinking about guy. Well, and, and it didn't work out, but, in a way, that was what they were thinking with the Matt Duffy trade. I mean, they were getting a guy who was controllable for a couple of years. So they're like, aha, this guy is going to be good next year, too. Except then he yeah, that, went, that, went and wasn't good. That is, to me, I was like, I totally saw the whole logic of that. And I'm like, that is what you do. I, you know, the Will Smith movie. And I'm like, because, you know, we now know that um, Bickford wound up not being, has not yet panned out or may not pan out to be what yeah. we thought he was yeah. when they moved him. But even then, the thing is, is, like they seemingly gave up a lot, but those two moves combined at that deadline was sort of like, okay, this is like a plan. Like these are both cost controlled arms that they right. will need this year and next year and beyond. So, yeah. 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 And, 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 so, and, and I liked that playoff run. I, you know, 
it didn't end well, but I'm glad it happened. Uh, sure. I, I think what I'm, uh, what I've uh, always thought, but it's now, I think this, now I get to seem like I'm a know-it-all, but I think teams that are in the Giants' shoes, the third one was very lucky, and I, the third world championship felt extremely lucky under the circumstances. It seemed like that was the time to go and shake it up in a way that would cause you to have critics and not in a way that would make you go, we're going to keep this going. Because at some point you are playing with house money. At some point, you know, the Giants did wind up in 2015 having a fantastic offense, but they needed pitching, you know, yeah. and they needed until so a haircut here, a hair, you know, a little nip, a little tuck here. And you can, maybe you can keep things going, but maybe your core doesn't need to be six or eight recognizable names. Right. Maybe yeah. it's three or four. So, yeah. I mean, that's all Absolutely. retrospect and, and who knows the next team. Anyway. We're getting a little off course. We're getting a little off course. But I think it's because in your interviews, what I thought was very interesting was uh, Elliot Ramos kind of kind of comes out with a, with a, a, a slight tinted yellow warning flag going into next season as just uh, something to look out for. Uh, and I and I, but it was, it was the same thing. Your interview. These are great interviews. You should go find them both because they sort of take Joey Bart and Ramos, and they kind of or Ramos. That's that's how you pronounce it, right? That's Sabian. How Sabian said it. It's Ramos. Well, I I don't <laughs> think uh, Sabian. One of his great skills yeah. is uh, name for the uh, pronunciation. I just assume the guy who runs the team knows the names of all his players <laughs> that he that he signed up on. But I guess he, he also refers but, to Stephen Duger with. Uh, Fair enough. With so Ramos, of- yeah. So so basically, what what you read those two interviews with is like basically there is a consensus about the Giants system, and that Barden and Ramos are at the top of it, and but at the same time, sort of like one is not like Joey Bart is the second coming, and one is sort of like Joey Bart is close to the second coming, and then you have Ramos being like he's very young, and that's why you put a hold on it, and then uh, the twenty. Uh, Adam sort of is like, he'll be fine. And Lee was sort of like, if he's not doing well by the end of next season, then, then we should be worried. Or did I flip them? But that was basically, and I thought it was interesting. I'm not asking you to pick. I'm just trying to say that's that's where you get into trouble with nobody really knows. We're, we're all doing the best that we can off of what we see. <laughs> yeah, off what we see. And, yeah. and the, the same with the, you can't predict the future. And the players have, I, I've said this a long, for a long time. It's, Whatever players end up being wasn't um, their only possible future. <laughs> there's, there's lots of ways that these paths can go. And right now, Ramos has a long way to go to get to be, you know, his, his best possible him. He's still a pretty raw player who was, in, who was picked apart. And, and he was given a, a great challenge. You know, he was, he was one of the youngest players in the, in the league. They're were players below him doing really, really well. Yeah, this is sort of a tangent, but in the in the Do same it, team with Joey Bart, <laughs> um, Salem Kaiser had another outfielder uh, named Diego Rincones who went to the All-Star game, had a fantastic season. Um, he was a 300 hitter, had like a 900 OPS, and, and you look at him and go, wow, this guy's great. He's a great prospect. He's also three months older than Elliot Ramos playing at a lower level. Um, so Ramos was given a very challenging assignment and he got his hat handed to him a lot in part because he was very raw and still pretty inexperienced. That doesn't mean that the, 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 the skill, the tools aren't there. The tools are still there. 
but I would say he didn't necessarily push himself up his development curve radically in the last year. And at some point, he'll need to do that. So I don't know if I would say flashing yellow I, quite. Slight, I would, slight, slight, just a slight, like a... Like it's a dirty white rag. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't like separate himself as uh, some kind of super elite prospect. So this is where you can say like Vladimir Guerrero went to single A at you know that age and just destroyed the world because he's an amazing special hitter. Ramos didn't do that. That doesn't mean he's a you know by any means a bad prospect. It means he's raw and he's you know going to go through one of these development curves like most major leaguers do that, so, that makes total sense to me they pushed him there because they thought he had the potential to possibly be that vlad guerrero type right and they yeah. challenged him yeah. and he learned some things and next year they're probably going to challenge him again and he's going to be the youngest player in the cal league and you know there he's getting force fed a little bit the giants At some had point, seemingly the have had a tendency to do that it feels like and but maybe that's not unique to them I don't think it is. I think in this day and age, teams are valuing young youth and young energy, and they're trying to push players pretty rapidly. I will say that I think, you know, I know a lot of people will say the Giants don't like playing young players. And I always push back on that. I think the players who have been, they move people really, really rapidly. And they've moved people up to and into the majors pretty rapidly who. In, in the end, showed that they deserved that, that push. It's the guys who are kind of the middling players who they don't always give the opportunities to. And, um, you know, those are the guys who really have to prove out, in my mind. The Giants do advance the really good young players they have pretty rapidly, I always find. All right. That's fair. We'll agree to disagree there, but okay. All right. <laughs> so th those are right there. Just three. Well, I just, I'll you just, just, you know, but... my bottom line there is they didn't have any problems taking Steven Duggar in the lineup. They have a lot of problems taking uh, Austin Slater in the lineup. And I tend to agree with both of those evaluations. personally. Yeah. Uh, I think you, I, if you should take credit for this and it is worth taking credit, you were definitely very vocal about, Austin Slater, I do not, you know, you do not perceive him as being a, a starting uh, major league outfielder. You, you clearly labeled him as a bench bat, and you've, you've essentially been proven correct. Because uh, well, I'm challenging whether, <laughs> like, he seems like more, like sometimes he's a fourth or fifth outfielder and not necessarily the first one off the bench. I mean, he does seem like one of those guys who could magically, like, completely change his swings some year and come out being Chris Taylor, but I don't know. Right now, he's a guy who hits a lot of ground balls and strikes he, out a lot. I believe he has one of the highest ground ball rates <laughs> in the league. I don't... I feel bad for him because I have noticed in the last two weeks he's tried to pull the ball and has missed completely. <laughs> and so then it's sort of compounding a problem of maybe all he needed to do was hit it the opposite way in that time, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. What what I I wrote an article about three weeks ago or maybe a month ago, that cynically I didn't say cynically in the article. I was I wrote it cynically though of like he is the perfect Giants prospect. He is the guy the type of hitter that they've been sort of churning out the last basically since <laughs> Buster Posey. <laughs> yes. Of of just like the the he's 
he's Matt Duffy. He's like kind of like the the singles guy who just makes contact and doesn't strike out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Except he does strike out, which is so he has that's struck kind of out a lot, right? And unlike Matt Duffy, he his defense is not quite as he's, sharp. He's not the yeah. flexible defense. Yeah. No. Um, and anyway, the, back to the, speaking. Yeah. But the Matt Duffy thing, people. real quick. <laughs> here's why Matt Duffy, I feel like, still stings because to me, you didn't feel like it didn't feel like the Giants traded him when he had achieved his peak value. We might be seeing some of that now with Tampa. But one thing that I was really impressed by with him, and I think. You know, is that he could adjust. You could see him adjust, and he'd go through a slump, and you'd see him adjust, and then he'd adjust again. And and I think that was what was really cool. He really embodied sort of that scrappy attitude that the Giants have really worked hard to push on us. And it's, he is it's, he is a scrapper. Yeah. Uh, but so three three we've made made three big names there, and I noticed in your interviews, and we can if you want to direct me in some other direction, we can. And we got we have your questions, uh, Twitter questions that we're oh, going to get to in a minute. Um, but you had, I think, um, Manuel Geraldo. He comes up in both interviews, and uh, oh, yeah. and I and I was not really aware of him. Um, and I, so I don't know if you want to talk about him for a few minutes and or a minute or two and give us an idea of of why you thought to even mention him. Um, yeah, he's he's a sleeper guy in the system. He's a player who. Um, He's been around actually for a little while. He was three years ago, I think, pushed pretty aggressively when he was maybe 18, uh, all the way from the Dominican team up to Augusta, which is about a three-level leap, and it's very unusual. And he failed, and he went back to Salem-Kaiser and did pretty well, and then last year he was in Augusta again, and he he still struggled and went back and had an all-star season in in, uh, Salem. Uh, and this year, and he's still quite young. He's still only 21 this year. So he came up, was by all, by all uh, accounts, much much more stronger and more physically mature and just bigger, and put together a really solid season um, in Augusta. He's a shortstop, switch hitter, bats better from the left hand side. Started kind of impacting the ball more. He's a guy who I can see being a pretty, you know, having a major league outcome as a pretty decent utility player, you know, and maybe more than that, depending on how he goes. But uh, he did impress a lot of people this year in in having sort of taken a leap, um, in part just because he got stronger, which is a lot of, you know, what you need from the younger uh, Dominican players. Um, but he, he he did that thing where, you know, he had been sort of, falling down the development curve and he pushed himself up it. So that's, that's what the kind of success stories you always like seeing out of the players. Um, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting he's a big star, but he is somebody to keep an eye on. You know, he could be another Matt Duffy type, you know, two, two, three years from now. So, uh, for whatever reason, I just, I just keep thinking about Avellino, Abiato, Avellino only because it's he seems like an interesting also middle infielder, but they're definitely different in age and and potentially in profile. But sort of what you were talking about reminded me of of his general prospect. I think they're both that kind of yeah that that you never really tell when people are going to get it, which is why scouts always talk about the tools because the tools will play when the game skills finally click in, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. So 
Okay, yeah, that's good. Well, we'll get to your, we'll get to the sort of questions in the next moment, but uh, I did want to, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but I did want to bring it up. Uh, we talked, to, I asked just, I asked Roger a straightforward question, which is the Yankees just added more teams to increase their development pipeline. And Roger, you pointed out the Giants added an extra team, but then you had an extra wrinkle. And I, I just wanted to go over that again. So, you know, if the Giants want to improve their farm system, one way they could do that is just by adding more teams. But why is that a problem for the, the Giants in particular? <laughs> yeah, so uh, my answer to you off the air was that they've actually had trouble covering their rosters um, as is the last couple of years. And particularly, um, Richmond has, has really leaned on independent league players. Um, so they've really been bringing a lot, a lot of older players just to fill rosters. So adding more teams makes that more of a problem. I will say, however, what the teams who add more or the, the organizations who add more teams, they tend to do it at these really low levels where you've got lots and lots of the, the raw teenage kids who just need repetitions. And that is why the Giants added the Arizona team. And they could probably add a team in the Dominican and that would help with that. Because a lot of those kids just haven't had you know, the game repetitions that you need to, you know, the 10,000 hours or whatever is to get your skills up. Yeah. Um, we also, there's an interview in the athletic with David Bell, uh, Melissa Lockhart, I believe it was who did the interview. Uh -huh. And it's a really good mm -hmm. one. And, and, and um, in addition to maybe, you know, the adding more team and giving, getting getting the kids more reps the he also talked about giving the kids more rest and pushing the fall instructs, uh, after the first year to begin those in January. And, yeah. uh, and it just seems like uh, rest seems to be more people are starting to get it, that the human body needs rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think you mentioned that that several they found out that several of the other Arizona teams were kind of going to that same or something similar this year. Uh, I think some teams did that last year too, where, yeah, instead of like giving the – it used to be the, the season ends about Labor Day – and then by the end of October, they were back in the in fall instructs. Um, and so they gave him about a month off, and then they were putting him right back into games. And so what, I think what he was saying was they're going to bring them back, but for like strength and conditioning in the fall and not do any baseball thing. And so just work on building them up physically and letting them rest. Yeah. So rehab is important. <laughs> I like the idea, too, of sort of it colliding with the start of major league spring training yeah i feel like that's a better like that seems like it's got the potential for something else positive to happen um, i agree and, and so I, I don't know that seems like just a, a culture adjustment not so much a culture change um and i'm about to start the questions but i did want to point out i think you uh are not someone who is against the giant the culture of this of the giants as they've pushed publicly. And I think I'm with you on that. I think it would be very strange if tomorrow they said, we're cleaning house and we're bringing in uh, a computer to run the team. Uh, it's an Ivy League computer. It's got good, <laughs> it comes from a good family and has good ideas about how to efficiently spend money and make money. And that's what we're doing now. I think it would be very strange if tomorrow the Giants just changed their culture overnight because they're one of the few teams where they have a... It's like a generation. Like li literally, it's 20 years 
of the of this or longer if we stretch it back to when Sabian even joined the team. It's it's you know it's a, almost twenty five years because he joined the team in ninety four. I think it's it's almost twenty five yeah. years uh, of the same culture, and uh, that just doesn't happen in professional sports. It doesn't happen in a lot of corporate environments. It's a, it's an unusual setup, I would say, and so. Uh, I hope Roger, you're still alive. I am still alive. Yeah. So I would say, uh, you know, you might have a sympathizer here. I, I would say I would rather the people listening who want the Giants to tear it all down to find the way to creatively destroy what's currently there. Like, how could you help the Giants reload as opposed to rebuild? Um, and maybe that's a better use of our time and energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I I, I like. Yeah, I I don't want to repeat everything you said. I do like that they seem to value, you know, the people in the organization that they give money to people who've done well for them. I, I I do like the way they feel, and I I hope they don't clean house. I I hope they are more successful going forward than they have in the last couple of years. And then I don't know. I I, I, I offline I've told you that I get a little impatient with people's using rebuilding as a clutch. I think they need to build. But building happens kind of one good decision at a time. And I think I also think just expanding the scope of your decisions uh, in the sense of like the Giants always get very creative with their major league contracts that they give to free agents. Why not with trades? Why Mm -hmm. not with, you know, prospect moves or or anything like that? That that doesn't change what it means to be the Giants. I. I think what we've read, I don't know if you've read the same things, but, you know, the idea that the Giants can swap bad contracts. And, yeah. like, that's just something they don't even do. And that's that's not even a thing that radically alters the, the nature of how they run their business. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's weird. But I'm saying all this also to bring in sort of like, you know, the Giants don't really have much in the way of exciting prospects to play in September. Not a lot of kids necessarily that you're going to – that are going to be on the next – winning Giants team, but I want you to reiterate for the for the folks listening about your September thoughts. And it's a very good one, I feel. It's the boost. <laughs> right. So my long my long history of getting excited about things that happen in September, um, you know, back in the day. It's, I, I, I watched a lot of bad Giants teams in, in the 70s and 80s and saw a lot of great Septembers from people. So the, the wealth of that experience tells me that September baseball – does not really mean anything and you should never make evaluations based on the three weeks at the end of the season when the veterans are kind of packing it up for the year and people are hitting the trainer's room and a lot of double a AA and triple a pitchers are taking reps that ultimately it doesn't mean that much good or bad you know when manny burris has hits 400 in september don't plug him right into the lineup or when aaron judge strikes out 72 percent of the time in his first month in the majors, don't say he's a bust and bury him. It really doesn't mean that much. And don't sign Randy Wynn to a big extension when he has a huge September as well. So. He was a classy giant. <laughs> the classiest. All right. And I, I saw Randy at spring training this year. He's still in the org. Well, that's fine. So's Thomas Neal. That was the most strike. This is, I almost is. fell out of my chair when I read that in the interview. I'm like, what? <laughs> Thomas Neal, who's still, I don't think, is 30 years old yet. It, no. It's amazing. No, yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, get to these questions. We really just have uh, one we answered from Rob Hainer. 
Uh, he asks, other than Joey Barton, Elliot Ramos, who are the most exciting prospects? Who should I watch during a game in Augusta? Um, and I think we cut, we pretty well covered that. I think there is a couple. There's a sleeper in there, and uh, and Luciano is not going to be in Augusta, but um, oh no, but uh, no, he'll at probably some be in point, Scottsdale next summer. Yeah, at some point he will. And uh, um, they'll, they'll I mean, Alex that. Canario uh, um, could be. Ah, you, in you're Augusta jumping on the next year. question. Yeah, oh, I'm so, sorry. I don't mean no, to do it's that. okay. No, that's fine. It's a little little tease. So then, our last question is uh, comes from Steve Svensson. Um, uh, your at s fence at s Svensson nineteen asks it's two part question one your thoughts on Canario season and do you think he plays at Augusta next year sounds like you're go ahead <laughs> answer your board. I suspect he does um, just because he's a, he's a pretty good prospect in this system and he's got a lot of skills so I think they'll push him just like they did with Ramos and he's not. Super, super young. I, he's, in fact, only a little bit younger than Ramos. His season was perplexing, I, I will say. He he struck out way more than I would have thought against that level of pitching. But then he had, like, this month in the middle of the year where he just destroyed it. I don't know what to make of his year. <laughs> but I do know that stats don't mean that much in rookie ball. So I'm going to kind of just put it out of my mind and and remember that he has – all he's really tooled up. I mean, he has tremendous bat speed, great arm, very fast. He's got all the things that you want out of a player. And I also remember that, you know, this is his first year in a new country and that's hard. So I'm not going to be too bothered by it. <laughs> he's a very, very tooled up player. And I would anticipate he'll be in August next year. Uh, his birthday for those who don't know who Alexander Canario is, uh, he's an outfielder. Uh, at least that's what I have here. He's born on yeah, May seventh. He was born May seventh, two thousand, which means yeah. he was born just before we accepted that. Uh, oh, I didn't. Nope, that's the wrong year. Damn it! I was gonna make an Edgardo, Edgardo Alfonso joke, but I didn't. I couldn't do it. I was gonna say he was born. Just as we discovered, Edgardo Alfonso was a bust, but that's not true. It was 2003 that he was on the team. Or no, no, so 2000 was a good year. He was yeah, they were, they were kicking it into yeah, gear with him. They're doing well. So that makes him about nine months younger than Ramos. So yeah, which is yeah. So he's yeah. he's on par to be on, in Augusta he, next year. He was born uh, only about a month after Pacific Bell Park opened. So. Wow. <laughs> there, that's how you put it in perspective. That that puts it in perspective. <laughs> Uh, Russ Ortiz, right, yes. Russ Ortiz was firing the ball out there. That's right. Before. That's right. Russ Ortiz still hadn't firmed his rotation spot yet. <laughs> um, he uh, so that that actually that's a great dovetail with my question, which will be the last question uh, on KMBR about two weeks ago. Now Brian Sabian was asked about the state of the farm system and blah blah blah, and uh, it came up for me. It was the first time hearing that Sean Anderson was uh, the that was the pitching prospect the Giants got when they dumped Eduardo Nunez in their last trade deadline um, that the that they were undecided in the organization about Anderson's uh, ultimate fate slash path to the big leagues and that he could be either a starter or reliever and in my mind he'd just been a like he was in the rotation they were trying to make him a starter mm-hmm. and that was going to be it and i remember commenting on that and i think you chimed in with like yeah that that confusion or that uncertainty is baked into who he is as a pitcher could you elaborate on that some more <laughs> um well i think so he was um 
of course, uh, he was the closer at University of Florida. So he he came to pro ball as a reliever. The Red Sox originally started putting him in the rotation. And I should say University of Florida had a ridiculous starting rotation at that point. In time right, that, a they, whole bunch of first-round yeah, picks. The only way he could pitch was by closing. That was right. the only way he could get in the game. Um, I know there were people in Boston who did not believe he could stick as a starter, which is probably why he was in that deal along with Gregory Santos, who is another really, really good pitching prospect in the system. Um, so he has a starter's repertoire. He has four pitches. He has good stamina. You can look at him and see a starter. Um, I don't know that he's quite major league ready. And I did a comparison uh, somewhere of him and Suarez and uh, Andrew Suarez's 2017 compared to Sean Anderson's 2018. And if you look at those, you can kind of see how Suarez really was ahead of where Anderson is right now. Um, but I think they're kind of comparable as starters once Anderson gets to be the best version of himself. That said, he is a kind of, you know, another of those back-end starter types who has not missed a lot of bats as a starter in the minors. And probably if you pushed him to the back of a rotation, he would miss a lot more bats and the, and the stuff would play up a little bit and the, the repertoire would be, you know, more of an attack weapon. So I can see, I can see that he could succeed in either role in different ways. I think Suarez, to me, what stands out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is his sequencing and and just sort of the way he approaches uh, approaches a lineup and uh, and adjusts in game and sort of order you know, times through the lineup. At least that's what I've noticed. And he also seems to really he. I've written about this, so if you've heard if you've read this, I apologize to anyone listening. He he seems to only have. Uh, Every start, he loses one pitch at some point in the game. Yeah, and uh, and and I think it's his fastball most of the time, but sometimes it's his curveball. And what I notice is he's still able to kind of make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not walking guys is a really big deal for someone like him. So I don't know. Maybe if Anderson doesn't have the stuff to be a top of the rotation guy, I think the Giants. In the same case with Derek Rodriguez, they'll take someone who they can see. Yeah, you, know, you can see the gears turning. And you can yeah. see someone scheming well. And so maybe that's what Anderson needs to be a starter, if that's what he wants to be. Well, I, you know, when I compare those two, so one thing that really impressed me about Suarez is when he moved up from double-A to triple-A last year, his strikeout rate actually got better. And his, when, when Anderson moved from double-A to triple-A, his strikeout rate plummeted and his walk rate went up. And that's hmm. more typical because you're facing better hitters and it's a much better hitters league. So you start nibbling around the edges because you're you know, worried about getting punished in the PCL. But Suarez seemed to improve when he got up there. And I think that's a testament to kind of all the things you were just talking about, his sort of smarts as a pitcher and his ability to sequence. And that's where I think you can see that he was ahead of where Anderson is right now, which isn't to say Anderson won't, can't get there. But what Saban was really saying is what's his quickest way right. to helping us. Yes. And I yeah. think there is still another step or two in there for Anderson if he was going to be a starter. So yeah. that, I think, is really the issue. I think that's what I like about the Giants, though, too, is you can get by on Cunning and Guile, and they'll appreciate that. Because ultimately, uh, this is to you, Roger, and everyone listening, you know, th- you don't have to give back wins. You don't have to give back what you accomplish, the outs you get in a baseball game. So 
there is no one way to do it. There's no one way path, path to getting there. And whatever works, if it works, it works. That's right. Uh, and I think that's why there's something a little disappointing about people rushing to crap all over Derek Rodriguez because of the peripherals and what they say. And I understand that. But, you know, let's look at what he's done. He's converted over to a starter, and he's been the Giants' best pitcher this season. Yeah. And you can take you can take ding him for that, or you can just say, hey, here's something successful that happened in a system with few successes. And I think that's worth say, talking up. We can talk about Derek Rodriguez. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that was, a, that was maybe the best move they made in the offseason. I, so I'll, I, I know we're getting done, so I'll, I'll, here's one <laughs> thought that I will sort of wrap up with. It is an interesting, as they f- try and figure out how to go forward, it is going to be interesting what they do with the young pitching that they brought up this year. Because as was a, f- a front page post today, can they convert any of that into different, different skills that they need? Do they trade some of those people in the Suarez, Stratton, Rodriguez group, or is that the piece that you're building on going forward? And that's probably going to be one of the one of the biggest challenges for the brain trust, I think, this winter. Yeah, I mean, you kind of said it with, you know, that's what prospects are there for. Now it's just a matter of defining what a prospect is or maybe adjusting your thinking on what a prospect is. Yeah, um, or who's the, building, right. who's the building block and who's the chip? I yeah. mean, if you go back to 2015 when you were saying it looked like they had a great offense because they yeah. had all those young hitters, and right. then it, it turned out they didn't. So Right. Well, and they also had terrible pitching, so it's like, what do you right. do? Right. <laughs> you need to stick these things together. So. Yep. Uh, well, Roger, we appreciate uh, everything that you do. I, I don't know if you get enough credit for it. I don't know how you're feeling uh, psychologically, but your efforts uh, never go unnoticed, and I'm very grateful for everything that you've done with McCovey Chronicles over the years. And uh, a, a value, invaluable, wait, valuable and invaluable mean the same thing. You are uh, your in, indisposable resource. What does uh, unvaluable mean? Yeah, uh, invaluable. Unvaluable means without value. Uh, that's like the flammable and inflammable be the same thing. Uh, but you, you uh, have really, you know, through just your passion and love for the Giants, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, None of us would know a, a, a 50% of what we know without minor lines, and we really appreciate you doing that and taking the time to record these podcasts. I know you have a life outside of this, the San Francisco Giants. And now I'm going to let you go to go live it. So, well, Brian, so thanks, I, I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, and please follow Roger on Twitter, and you can get some timely retweets and some pithy prospect uh, commentary uh, at ROG61. And uh, Roger, take care, and we'll catch up with you later in the offseason. Thanks very much, Brian. Let's make a trade. Bye. Bye.